Okay, good morning. My name is Christina. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello, I'm your moderator for this workshop. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. Do protect, to protect your anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings for this work, of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. This workshop will have, three, will have speakers followed by Ask It Basket questions. During the workshop, please keep the, the basket moving. The topic for this session is 100-pound changes. The long road and the principle is compassion. We will begin with a selection from Lifeline, October 2004, page 8. I found others just like me, people who had been unable to walk more than a block without having to rest, people who hadn't shopped in a regular clothing department in years, people who needed to use handicap stalls and bathrooms, had broken furniture, toilet seats, and, and car seats, didn't fit in airplanes, subways, or anything labeled one-size-fits-all, people who were dying from this disease. Now they were in normal-sized bodies, but they were still there to share their experience, strength, and hope. Please help me welcome Mary, our first speaker. Good morning, everybody. Am I too loud? Okay. So, my name is Mary. I am a grateful compulsive overeater. Um, it feels good to be here. My sponsor's here. I feel really happy about that. Um, my partner's here. I met her in program in 1989. We've been together 22 years, and we were married two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And she's, I found her in these rooms, this program, so uh, there are more gifts besides weight loss in, this, in these rooms. But um, my experience, strength, and hope, I have 15 minutes. I'm going to try to run through them. I've been here since 1989. My top weight was 250 plus. I was wearing a size 24 uh, plus. Um, what was it like? Horrible. Uh, that's what it was like. Um, the epitome, my 10th grade algebra teacher, high school, came up to me in front of the classroom and said, Mary, I will give you an A if you lose weight in front of everybody. I was, like, mortified. Um, but that didn't stop me from eating. My mom tried, my mom wanted a cheerleader. 
well, I don't know what she wanted. One part she wanted a cheerleader. One part she wanted me 300 pounds sitting next to her drinking a six-pack of beer. I don't know which way it would have gone, but um, that was my mom. And she, uh, I love her. I've done a lot of work. And because of these runes before, I didn't know she was going to pass away suddenly. And six months before she passed away, no, three months. I'm sorry you're getting this. I'll try to step back. Um, three months before she passed away, I invited her to our home. I gave her the best seat in the house. I provided her meal to her in her seat, and I put on her slippers. And three months later, she passed away unexpectedly. And because making amends and forgiving for her and finally realizing she did the best she could. She did. She didn't know how to love me. I was not enough for her. I was a reflection of her. I was shame. I was, I was just not what she wanted. But that's okay. You know, today I realize that. She did the best she could. I'm one of ten kids. I'm the oldest daughter, so talk about control issues. I was labeled the second mother. Um, and what got me through all that was food. I prepared the meals, I did the stuff, and while everybody was sleeping and I had to do the dishes, I was eating. The seconds, the foods, the leftover, what it, all the nine others didn't eat, I ate. And food, zinger, sneaking food. In a family of ten, you have four older brothers, one younger than me, five younger sisters, the four younger brothers. You know how brothers can be, or if you have brothers, they can be pretty mean. Um, so I snuck my food. I was a sneaker. In a family of 10, you got to be pretty good for no one to catch you. But they did. One of my most um, demoralizing moments, driving on the 101 freeway, going to my family's for Thanksgiving dinner, and I'm in the car just binging on Jack in the Box cheeseburgers. And who drives by? My brother, Robbie. And he sees me stuffing the cheeseburgers. But did that stop me from eating? No. Um, nothing stopped me from eating until not all the embarrassing moments, not none of that. The ones where you say, that's it, that's it, that's, that's it. N no, it didn't. Um, so back to what it was like. Uh, my mom wanted me to lose weight, so she tried everything. Remember the AIDS candies, the pineapple diet, speed. I was on speed in sixth grade. Um, that didn't work. It still snuck food. Um, uh, then it was a thyroid. Let's hope it's a thyroid. Um, so this is, I like this story because my mom wanted so bad for it to be the thyroid. And so she takes me to the doctor and the doctor can tell, like, this little girl's just effed up, you know? <laughs> uh, she, she has a mother, like her mother. So um, he does a thyroid test, and he says, you can't eat anything for 12 hours or 24, I forget. And so I don't, I say, okay, I won't eat anything for 12, 24 hours. So there was a coconut cake in the refrigerator. Well, I ate a slice like this. And the night, like 12 midnight, I ate it. So when the morning of the x-ray came, I was so, so scared. And um, uh, I went in there and uh, took the x-ray. When the results came back, um, I was 
another mortifying moment, like, oh, they're going to find out. They're going. And uh, no, he said, it's not her thyroid. I think he knew, you know. And um, because I was envisioning a wedge of cake like this in the film. I really, as that 12-year-old, thought it was going to come like this. Um, and there was a cartoon about that, really funny. I've, I wish I would have saved it. So anyways, um, to, to, I didn't wear jewelry. I'm, I want to tell you what it was like because it was horrible and, and I can't believe sometimes what it was like, but I need to remember what it was like. I don't have to live back there, but I need to remember what it was like. So I didn't wear jewelry because it would make me look fatter. I didn't wear coats when it was freezing outside because they would make me look fatter. So whenever anybody ever asked, are you cold? No. I'm not cold. That's how much I denied. I lived from here up. I never looked at my body, and it helped that I'm an incest survivor. I never felt my body. I didn't know my body. I didn't like my body. I didn't live in my body is what it was like. When you're a teenager and you're 250-plus pounds, you don't really know what you... You don't feel anything. So that's the thing. I never felt anything. Um... 12 years old, and one more mortifying story. Um, we had a slab of concrete built on our house on the side there, and um, one of my lovely siblings went out and put, Mary, 12 years old, weighs 120 pounds, and there it was in concrete. What I would give to weigh 120 today. <laughs> but that, when I was 12, uh, you know, the shame. Uh, and, and Dominic last night, for those of you who are here, talked about shame. And for me, that is the crux that I go to my higher power all the time. I was a mistake. I wasn't meant to be here. I thought I was adopted because I just was a mistake. I really, truly, and I'm not being dramatic because I'm, I'm, I, I pitch that I'm trying, I'm Latina, if you haven't noticed, and we tend to be dramatic and everything, and I'm trying not to be that. Um, but this is true, that I thought I hurt you if you looked at me. I really thought you felt physical pain looking at me. And another truth is that I thought... I, I wanted to kill myself many, many, many times, but I didn't because of, of the love of my four younger sisters and um, who would carry the piano case that would hold me when I die. And that's how I thought. And I shared this with the sponsee, and she said, it's always um, that um, she was afraid, she would hope that she would die in an airplane accident so nobody would have to see her dead body, that the plane would just crash up. So there you have comparison of the pain and the shame. That we hurt so much sometimes that even in our death, we consider what, what we're going to go out like. And yeah, it's, it's um, but I'm here to talk about the joy of the journey. That's, and compassion. And um, I have a loving partner that always talks to me about being kind to yourself. Because I can be 
rigid, controlling, judgmental, all the de character defects that I'm praying praying to be removed. I'm praying, and the only way I can do that is with compassion. Because when I try the hard, rigid way, it doesn't work. Because if it did, I, I would have been like um, regular weight at, uh, at age 11. Because uh, I, I was always mean to myself. So it's with kindness, compassion, forgiveness. Uh, and my partner will tell you, no way am I perfect. No way. I, you know, I'm not. But it's something I'm striving for. And the thing uh, to get into the solution and the joy is when I see a behavior of mine, like, for example, tolerance. I, I supervise three people. And um, I can be the B word a lot, and bossy, and the other B word. And um, uh, one of my coworkers came up to me and said, "Mary, um, you know, uh, they they say you can be really hard, but that at parties you're really fun." <laughs> <laughs> So I have kind of two personalities. But so what I'm learning is that tolerance and acceptance and patience and understanding and the um, joy of the journey is when I see a behavior change where I'm kind to an employee and I listen and I'm patient and I'm supportive and even to my partner, like she had a problem the other day and I was kind and listened and I wanted, of course, to tell her what to do, how to do it, what way would work and I didn't, I just listened. It's like doing a thousand sit-ups when I'm just quiet. And I don't say anything. It really is like doing a thousand sit-ups. Because you know I know better. Like, I, if you would just listen to me, it would really work. Um, but, the, but it doesn't, because I've tried that for a long time, and it didn't work. And that's why I went to another 12-step program. Um, but my core is the food. It will always be the food. I know to take each day um, as a gift because I've uh, been a relapser in this program. The first time I lost 100 pounds, I went back out because OA didn't understand the pain. There was the dramatic novella part of me. You don't get the pain, you know. You don't understand. I got to go somewhere else and eat food where they're going to understand the pain. But no one's going to understand my pain. Only my higher power is going to understand my pain. No one's going to get it like I get it. Only my higher power. Um, and now to the joy of the physical movement. I'm an insert survivor. I've shared that. I've had the burden of 100 pounds. I've lost 115 now. Um, the way I stay in my body today is, um, is exercise. I can't, especially for an uh, insert survivor. When I'm thrusting my pelvis... It's powerful, you know. Today, I'm not a scared. I'm not afraid to thrust it anymore. It's a it's a power of movement, and I started walking. I used to only be able to walk a block, really, um, but one of those blocks is precious to me because I noticed the road, uh, the roads on the um, street, Hazeltine Avenue in San Fernando Valley. I'll never forget that moment, and after noticing that rose. I went on to walk um, six marathons. Um, I exercise. I, I really encourage. If you want to get to know your body, move it because you'll feel it. And it's a gift to feel it. And that's the joy of the journey. 
Um, and like you, I said, I started with one block, barely. Um, I'm a kidney transplant patient. Um, 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 my brother died of a heroin overdose. I have three alcoholic brothers. I was an I am an alcoholic, sober 15 years. And I bring up the uh, dialysis because I was I lost weight doing that, which was great. But that um, because of these rooms, I'm a miracle. I really am, and it's only because of these rooms. I'm a person that at the age of 22, I was debating taking my life, like I said. And because of these rooms, I came in thinking I was worse than the worst. Um, but doing the fourth step, having compassion, giving away the secrets, um, the real deep, dark, shameful secrets that you don't want to give away, that you think were your fault, and you find out they weren't. Um, Working the steps, I do, okay, to the recovery now. I do a 10-step every night. I have a sponsor who sometimes gets on my nerves because she'll say, um, uh, she's here, so I'm kind of saving that kid on. <laughs> she, um, she'll say something like, give up something, rice cakes, which I love. And oh, you can imagine how angry I am. at. But you know what? Willingness is the key. It really is. And I want what I have. And she teaches me, you only have a daily reprieve. Today, today, today is all I have. And if you do it one day at a time, one day at a time, um, uh, a 10 step every night, I have the, um, uh, the readers, the blue book, the white book, the Voices of Recovery, the white book. I get on my um, knees every morning. Not every, I try to. Sometimes I forget and just race for the day. But I heard on a podcast recently, which I'm trying to remember, my day, your way. I like that. It was short and sweet. My day, your way. And I try to do God's will. Um, oh, I wanted to share this too. I had lost maybe, thank you, Judy, uh, 60 pounds, and I wanted to keep, this was a year and a half ago, and I wanted to lose more. So God kept call, saying, call this person in the San Fernando Valley. Call this person. And see, I've learned in the rooms that God, and I, I'm stealing someone else's quote, God doesn't talk in long paragraphs or dissertations or God talks in really short sentences. This is my disease that will give me a really nice analysis of a situation <laughs> and do long dissertations and ravelings on why I should use. But God just said, call her, call her. So I called. And since that call, because I listened to my higher power, my life has changed. The person I'm working with has given me an appreciation for life that I, I, I got to put a shout out for sponsors. If you don't have one, get one. You really, really, really are shortchanging yourself if you don't have a sponsor. Really, get one. And this is what my higher power said. Call that person. And I listened. And I'm so grateful I did. So the joy of the journey, I'm going to wrap up now, is to be present, that you're present. Like I, right now I'm looking at all your beautiful faces. 
and you guys are here today and you want recovery. And um, the other joy I want to tell you is I get to stand and do service and to tell you that it's not anything special. It's not like I used to sit in the rooms and think, how do they get it? Why they get it? It's not like that. If I'm up here and when I thought I was a blanking mistake, you can be up here. Really, I mean that with all my heart. You can be. You can have it. It's just doing the steps, having the willingness, and it starts with the willingness. Even if the willingness is a hundred steps from the first willingness, just keep coming back and doing it one day at a time. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much, Mary. Okay, so I'm going to take a little poll real quick. We've got the Ask It Basket back. Does anybody else want to fill it out? Because I'm going to send it back one more time because they're needing more paper and I just got some more. All right, good. All right. Our second speaker is Michael. And Michael, you do have 20 minutes. Hi, I'm Michael, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Michael. And I am very uh, happy to be here and happy to be an abstinent member of Overeaters Anonymous. I don't know why I'm going to say this, but um, I hear a lot of people sometimes say, I'm not abstinent. I'm having trouble um, getting abstinent. And I was lucky because my first sponsor said, Michael, you don't have to get abstinence. You've got it. Anytime you're sitting in a room of Overeaters Anonymous and you're not eating, you have the gift of abstinence. You've got it. You just have to figure out now how to keep it. So I have had the luxury and the joy of keeping this great gift of abstinence for a little over 30 years now. I came into OA... I came into OA um, when I was 22, and somebody was talking about, reminded me of the pitiful and incomprehensible, what a word, an incomprehensible demoralization. And I'm not going to bore you with a lot of different stories, but my top weight uh, that I know of was 270 pounds. I weigh about 150 right now. And the thing that I remember, I got so big when I was in school, I didn't fit into any of my clothes. And I was too ashamed and too prideful, I guess, to tell anybody I I couldn't fit into any of my clothes. So I started to wear my pajamas to school because they were the only things that fit. And I remember being in school and a kid coming up to me and going, are those your pajamas? And that's really what I was. I was a scared little boy wearing my pajamas to school. In fact, I thought about this today. My life is so big today. But my plate is really small. As compared to before, my plate was really big. And my life was really small. 
My life was either about eating or not eating, feeling ashamed about eating, hiding my eating, worrying about my eating, worry about what other people thought about my eating, worried I'd get find out about my eating, worrying about my next eating and where it was going to be coming from. That really is what my life was about. And when people talk about um, life beyond their wildest dreams, I say goodbye to all my dreams very early. Living in a normal body, having a loving, compassionate relationship with anybody, including myself, having a career. I just said those, I'll just be in my pajamas for the rest of my life. In fact, um, my sponsor now, no, my second sponsor, said, oh, Michael, it's not your OA birthday. It's your OA rebirth day. Because that person I was before is somebody else. I appreciated the person who said they don't want to ever forget. I don't want to forget. But I can tell you, I am not that same person. I'm not. I didn't bring any pictures. And I thought, oh. And I thought, wow. I'm not that same person. OA has rebirthed me. God has rebirthed me. When it talks about compassion, I was the person who took a big book and whacked myself on the side of the head for beating myself up. And my first sponsor said, if you're going to continue to do that, Michael, go out and get the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and start literally, physically whacking yourself on the side of, the, of your head. And I actually started doing it. And it hurt. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. So he said, so stop. I didn't really know how, but I remember something very specific. I don't know if any of you have seen that old movie, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's in black and white. I think it has Charles Lawton or whatever his name is. And he's sitting there chained to um, like a circular thing out, out in front of everybody. And they're whipping him. And they're all laughing at him and ridiculing him. And I had to physically think of myself as that person and get that image of that non-compassion because I was the one doing the whipping. I was the one doing the ridiculing. And I did it to other people as well. And I had to throw that image out. I love the idea of throwing things out. Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go. Absolutely. So when I came in, I had a higher power, G-O-D, that did not work for me. The image I thought of was I have an old, old toaster that makes really, really burned toast. comes out black. It tastes awful, it looks awful, and who would want it? I don't drink, eat bread today, but that was the analogy. And I was like, I need a new Proctor Silex toaster. I need a new fabulous toaster. Uh, this old toaster isn't working. And I had to literally think of myself taking this old, 
old toaster and tossing it into the dumpster. And that was my old idea of a G.O.D. Um, and that helped me a great deal. I remember being on a plane and not being able to uh, make the safety belt uh, fit. So what do you do? You hide the fact that it doesn't. You don't actually ask. You put your coat and you, you hide it. Um, my life has been a lot about hiding, hiding about my sexuality, um, hiding about who I am, hiding in my room. I was a borderline agoraphobic for two years. I just didn't feel safe outside of, my, of the room, of my room. My life was very small in my pajamas. When I came to OA, it's so funny. I always go back, I guess, God, is this OA blasphemy? I'm so grateful for the gift of desperation. I'm not sure everybody in OA gets that gift. It's kind of like, for me, you walk by some muddy area and you go, oh, God, ugh, I got mud on my shoe. Ugh, boy, that's irritating. Uh, well, oh, well, on I go. Uh, and then next time you stick your foot in the mud and your leg goes all the way like down to your knee. And you go, oh my God, wow, this is kind of hard to pull up. Okay, ugh, I got my leg out. Wow, that was really frustrating. For me, I was in the quicksand. The disease of compulsive overeating was pulling me down. It wasn't a mild inconvenience. It was life or death. And the hand of G.O.D. is out there going, here, I'm, I'm there for you. And I, for a moment, went, is that the only option? <laughs> and, of course, ultimately, it was. So when I read the literature when it says, first, we were forced to do these things. Then we did them because we ought to. And finally, we do them because we actually want to. That's been my experience of in OA. I'm in love with Overeaters Anonymous. I'm having a wonderful love affair with OA. That was not my experience, though, in the beginning. In the beginning, I was scared, I was prideful, and I wasn't very compassionate to myself or to you. I remember, I can't even remember if they said, you have to love yourself before you can love others, or you have to love others before you can love yourself. But I remember thinking, oh God, I hope I get to love others before I can love myself because I cannot love myself right now. I just can't. I did not have that compassion. I had a wonderful drive down to the convention with a dear friend. And I got to be reminded of something wonderful. When I hear people say, you're whole, perfect, and complete exactly the way you are, I think to some extent that could be true. But for me, the analogy that I like is something that I remember hearing about Michelangelo 
and the statue of David. They said, how did you create this beautiful, wonderful creation of the statue of David? And he said, and I'm going to paraphrase, obviously, I don't know exactly what he said, but he said, I took this big hunk of marble and I started to chip away at everything that wasn't David. And what remained was David. And so I think that's sort of like what OA is like. The Michael that God intended was always there, but it was covered by all this extra stuff, which, of course, the weight is a manifestation. But all the other things, too, fear, pride, it all comes down to fear. I mean, I've, I've done enough inventories. Is this the truth? Yeah. I just did one recently because I was angry at a group of people for not doing what they should be doing. And I had to find compassion for those people. And the bottom line is I found out I was afraid. You know, people talk about faith is when you jump from point A to point B. That's not faith. Faith is jumping from point A. End of story. Faith is jumping from point A. It's easy to jump to point B. Oh, there, there's point B. That's easy. It's, it's leaving a job when you don't have another option out there, knowing that the job is not right. Leaving a relationship of seven years. That's not true. Four years. <laughs> not knowing what the, what's coming next, but knowing that it's not God's will for me. having enough compassion for myself to know that this can't possibly be God's will for me. What's the opposite of fear? To me, it's action. I guess that's also faith. But for me, I'm paralyzed by fear, completely paralyzed by fear. So for me, the opposite of fear is action. And it says there's a whole chapter in the big book called Into Action. There's not one called into thought, but there is one called into action. <laughs> I guess as I've gotten older, I've been able to, as the literature says, we pause. I used to, when I speak, I guess there were, I had to fill up all the time, to fill it all up. And it's nice to be able to, we relax and take it easy. We don't struggle. It still surprises me when I'm at an OA meeting and I see people who don't give themselves the gift of participating in their own recovery. We have a wonderful opportunity where I'm in a room of people who are going to most likely totally accept me. And I have found that the more I have, forgive the word, exposed myself to the people of Overeaters Anonymous, admitting to God, to myself, and to another human being who I really am, people have been attracted to me like never before. I've also learned that not everybody is going to like me. They really aren't. In fact, uh, a long time ago, my first sponsor said, 30% of the people, Michael, are really going to like you. They're just going to think you're the, the cat's meow. 
just you're just they're just gonna love you. They're just it's just they're just gonna love you. Thirty percent of the people are not gonna like you. They're just not gonna be their cup of tea. That's the best way. Or or is my new phraseology? I'm just not drawn to that kind of energy. <laughs> I'm just not drawn to her energy. I'm just I'm just not drawn to it. Thirty percent of the people are not going to know exactly what they do like because they're too busy trying to figure it all out and being somebody they're not. And the other 10% of the people aren't going to give a rat's ass one way or another. But my problem was I was always trying to be something for everybody. There's a great song, I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than a hundred people's ninth favorite thing. And I'd rather be nine people's favorite thing than 100 people's ninth favorite thing. I didn't feel that way um, 30 years ago. I had to have everybody like me. But the problem is, when you're a cantaloupe, which a lot of people like cantaloupe, but you're trying to be every other fruit in the basket, you can't be a cantaloupe. And the people who really want cantaloupe, oh boy, I thought they'd have cantaloupe for breakfast. Damn, they don't have cantaloupe. Well, I guess I'll go somewhere else. I don't get to meet the right 30%. The 30% of the people who are really looking for Michael, the David that's been all chipped away, they can't find him because I'm working so hard to be somebody I'm not. So I've got to... So when people say you're whole, perfect, and complete exactly the way you are, maybe that's what they mean. I've been trying to reconcile this in my life. Because the literature says there's plenty wrong about us alcoholics, about which plenty will need to be corrected. It's like the guy uh, after the tornado talks about get, walking up from the storm cellar and going, well, and the whole place is devastated. Well, glad it stopped blowing. Guess we can go on with our life. No, there's a long period of reconstruction ahead. And for me... There was a lot of work to do. And the outstretched hand of God as I was sinking into the quicksand. And, you know, I got to be reminded about coasting. Quicksand pulls you down. You can't just, like, coast or, or wait. If you don't do anything, it pulls you down. Cars that coast have to be going downhill or they won't coast. So... I can't afford to coast. 30 years later, 120-pound weight loss, running a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization in the capital of California. The status quo can only be for today. The 100-pound changes continue to happen. Even though I've been in this weight for, at this weight for a long, long time. And believe me, when you're losing weight, it's fun and it's great to get on the scale and be less. It really is. It's very gratifying. It's, 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 a, it's a putting money in the slot machine. You pull the thing and you get the jackpot. Wow. But day after day after day after day after day of eating abstinently and maintaining the same weight, you have to look for the jackpots a little bit more closely. Is there anything I don't want to talk about?
I didn't think I'd be here for 30 years. I also didn't think that I would um, have to worry about Social Security, about growing bald, about my hair turning white on my face. I wasn't worried about it because I figured um, it was all going to be over soon. I don't know if I really ever wanted to kill myself, but I was just waiting for it all to be over. And now sometimes I think, gosh, I hope I get to be here for a long time. I don't want it to be over. I, I want to continue to change. I want to continue to grow. My first sponsor said, when you're ripe, you're rotten, and when you're green, you're growing. So I want to be growing. And um, when I have another 10 step to do, or when I discover, wow, in my 30th year, I'm still looking at judgment. At my, in my 30th year, I'm still looking at whatever it is. Um, that means that I'm still growing. Thank goodness. Um, I've never left OA. I've, I've, I've never wanted to. Is that the truth? Yes. Thank you for that gift. For some reason, the gift of desperation and the gift of willingness has, has stayed with me. And now, though I did these things because I must, and then I did these things because I ought to, now I do them because I really want them. I really like them. I wouldn't dream of going away. But I do know that the disease is very cunning, powerful, and baffling. And I don't take it lightly. Um, it's a million dollar program. And damn it, I only get it a nickel at a time. So uh, thanks for making a place for me. Okay, Michael, thank you so much. And our last speaker is Michelle. these stage thingy majiggy tables. Um, <laughs> I'm Michelle and I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm Michelle. Okay, I have to just breathe for a minute here. Um, and it'll be okay. <laughs> All right. Is that better? Yeah. All right. Um, I'm sending around a few pictures. I've recently moved and cannot find pictures, so I just grabbed a bunch. And um, one's from when I was younger. Great haircut my parents put on me. Um, <laughs> and one is from, it's my oldest godson, so I don't know, probably 11 years ago. And then my one of my driver's license, which has the wrong... I lied about the weight on there. Um, I'm not only 300 pounds. My top weight was 462, and I hit that my senior year of high school. Um, but to back up a little bit about my story, um, I've always been a compulsive overeater. I snuck food. My brother and I were latchkey kids, so... It was really easy. I learned quickly how to shake a bag to make it look 
like not much food was gone, how to rearrange food. Um, there was also a 7-Eleven on the way home when we rode our bikes that if we had saved our allowance, I could stop in there. There was on whatever day of the week we had ice cream week at school and so one person was responsible for going and getting the ice cream that people bought from the freezer at school. I went to a um, very small private school when we lived in Southern California and even if I hadn't pre-ordered the ice cream but I was the ice cream person I'd make sure I put one in for me and just put my name on the slip before I got back to um, the lunch area. Um, I used food growing up to, I heard someone else use this, which I can relate to, to um, not feel the physical pain as much growing up, to not feel the emotional pain, to not feel the fear in my home, and it's what I did. It got me through my childhood. We moved to Northern California, and everything just continued. Um, junior high, as my weight continued, then school became hell also. And so food helped me. I was latchkey, uh, still a latchkey kid, so it was easy. I can remember, um, oh, I wasn't supposed to name food. The brown stuff, you could, my mom, I don't know where she got it from, but you could get these big ass bars, just not the little ones, but these big ones. And so, um, I would come home and you could chisel pieces off and if you chiseled from different areas it might not look like as much was gone. My mom would hide candy so she thought and then <laughs> some nights she would say okay Michelle the candy's wherever go get it and I'll pass them out. Well I, I already knew where it was but I pretended it as if I didn't. Um, once in high school, once I could drive, that was great because then I could go get food whenever I wanted. And I started a part-time job my junior year in high school, so money to pay gas and insurance and the rest was to buy food and um, keep it in my room. Then high school, during that high school time, a lot of the demoralization came up for me because I didn't fit into the high school desks and so what I had to do like this part of the body is my smallest area I also hit this height by eighth grade so to get into the high school desk I would like squat and then squeeze in and like this area of my body would then be between the desk and the um, chair and I could barely breathe and that's how I got through high school. And then my knees hit the posts, which I liked because I was afraid the desk would collapse. So I felt like if my knees were hitting the posts, then I was gonna be able to help hold the desk up. Somehow I passed high school with that constantly um, on my mind that the desk was gonna collapse. Um, then for high school graduation, they didn't make robes that um, my size and so I had decided I'm not graduate I'm not gonna walk and 
my parents wanted me to walk, so we had to go down to the place where people actually picked up the robes, and they were able to special order me a robe. Then, um, during rehearsal, they had these stupid stage things that are like tables, and I thought, no way in hell am I walking across that, because for sure it's going to collapse. That was my thought. Like, if I walk up there, I'm going to be embarrassed. It's going to collapse. And so... I went ahead and I did it. Thank God it didn't collapse. Um, thank God it's not collapsing right now. Um, and then, so got through high school, and then I was afraid to go to college because I was afraid I wouldn't fit into the desks. Because you see on TV and everything how the desks are just those little fold-over ones or like high school ones. So I went to the community college because I found out a lot of the rooms were tables and chairs. So that was going to work. I knew what I wanted to be. I wanted to go into the field of child psychology. Also, besides the fear of desks not fitting was the fear of me not being smart enough that I'd be able to make it through school. Um, after, I think, just one or two years of junior college, I decided to do a geographic move, thinking that my parents and family were my cause of my eating and all my problems. Went to Oregon for a year of school. Didn't really take care of my problems. Didn't take care of my eating. That just continued. I happened to, a friend moved with me. and She was another compulsive overeater. So that worked out really well. Um, came back to California. And I had a place on my own for a while. And there started my disaster of 10 years of very abusive, yucky relationships. And to get through that, I ate. Um, and then after I had this um, apartment, I moved out onto 50 acres. So how it says about the isolation and drawing the blinds and all that stuff, not only could I do that, I lived out on 50 acres. So I was really isolated. And I recently was reminded I went out there to see my friends, and it was her parents who let me live there. And I was reminded what life was like. And I hadn't remembered that in quite a while. Um, you know, I'd go get food, and I would, and I had just this little spot. It was up a dirt road, and I would just sit in there and I would eat and I would drink. And I did the, um, the uh, frozen thing on my dashboard so that it would try and get a little defrosted as I drove home. Um, this is making noises. <laughs> um, you know, the chips, or sorry, the crinkly bag stuff would be gone almost by the time I got home, so I had to make sure that I bought a lot to be able to make it through home, um, to home, and I would lay on the couch, and I would eat, and uh, I remember uh, my friend's parents saying, gosh, we rarely see you. True. I would go to work, and I'd come home. And so, and there I was. And they always welcomed me in the main house, and I would rather stay out into my room and eat. Um, and then my late 20s, I'm trying, 
late 20s, one of the um, best things in life happened. My friend got pregnant, and um, I was asked to be his um, godmother. And so he has played an important role in my life. And when he was, I don't know, let's say two and a half, maybe a little bit older, I was sitting at a park. And I had also I had broken my foot prior and wasn't able to have surgery because I weighed too much. They needed to put two screws in my three screws in my foot to hold the fractures together, and the orthopedic surgeon said we can't because if you step down on your foot with weighing 462 pounds, the bones are going to smash because of the screws. Thank you. And so there's nothing we can do for you. So I had to just walk with my foot broken. There wasn't an, another option for me at the time. And so I sat at the park on the bench and um, my godson said to me, shall come run, come run. And I said, I can't baby. And um, my foot hurt like hell to try and stand up on it. And to sit there on that bench and see him ask me to come run killed me. And so I was talking to his mom, and I was at that moment in another program. I was doing another, uh, I was doing a pay-in-way. And his mom had been to program, and she said, do you want to go? And I said, okay. And so we went, and the first meeting, it was like, a, I immediately thought this is a cult, like I've heard other people say, and I had said it's not for me. And so she said, you know, let's try another meeting. And so we went to the Saturday morning, which is now my home meeting. And it was better. It was still, I would sneak out the door as quickly as I could. Um, hard time just talking to people, interacting with people, having people. I don't want people to see me. Um, I always wore black, brown, gray was probably my closet. Um, and now I match, I do things like match my finger to my <laughs> outfits. <laughs> um, and so, um, I, I entered the rooms and it was, I'm trying to think, maybe a month into program, I kept hearing people in the room say, you need to get a sponsor. And so... I asked someone to be my sponsor, and I want to say she rudely, but she kindly. Um, <laughs> it was rudely because I didn't want to talk to people. That's the only reason I say that. She said, Here, here's so and so, and this is so and so. Stand here and talk to them, and we'll talk after the meeting. And I was like, Dear God, now I have to talk to people. So, I talked with these two women, and um, afterwards, she let me know how she sponsors and asked what I wanted in a sponsor, and I had no idea, so I said, okay. She said, what's your plan of eating? What are you going to eat today? What's your plan? Well, at home, I had probably frozen burritos, Cheetos, what, and I used to say Cheetos because they have iron in them, and I'm anemic, <laughs> and so that's how I got away with that. Not really, but um, I recently was talking to someone who's not one of us, and I 
she was mentioning the word Cheetos, and I said, oh, do you know, do you know they have iron in them? And she said, well, what do you mean? And so I said, why well, I used to eat Cheetos because they have iron in them? And she said, did you really use that excuse? I said, I did. I did. Um, and she didn't get it, but it's all right. I appreciate that you guys do. Um, and so I did everything my sponsor said at the beginning. It's a little different nowadays. Um, and so along the lines of the long road and the compassion piece, I was looking for some stuff in the big book, which I absolutely love. And I found this, um, this piece on page 84 that I felt at some point once I entered program. And it's, we, it says, we vigorously commenced this way of living. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effective, effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Later it says, love and tolerance of others is our code. And it was good for me to read that again to remind myself that this is a lifetime journey, that it is the long road. And for me to keep receiving the joys and the, um, the accomplishments, the promises coming true, I need to stay on this um, road and, and realize it is a lifetime. And it is a lifetime journey that I want. And the love and tolerance of others being our code is very true. Wow, time flies when I think I can't talk. Um, also, I when I read that, I was like, I that's something I've had to learn to apply to myself. I've had to learn to apply that love and to tolerance to to me, that compassion that I didn't have for myself. I didn't I didn't like myself. I didn't like how I looked. I didn't like how I felt. I didn't think I was smart enough. I didn't think I was good enough. You name it. And so through program, I'm learning still to have compassion for myself. A piece in there is, I, to back up, I had that, and then I began resting on my laurels. And so a piece of my journey has been a relapse. And once I began resting on my laurels, and it says something about, um, it's easy to let up on our spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. So my spiritual action, the part of the program, is calling people, is going to meetings, is talking to my sponsor, is talking to others, to actually talk to people at meetings. And I let up on that. I entered a relationship, decided to... Um, being home was better than going to meetings. I stopped calling people. I stopped talking to people. Um, I can vividly remember standing in my bedroom on the phone because I did a 6.30 a.m. to my sponsor, and she said, are you in relapse? And I said, no. I knew I was in relapse. I sure as hell didn't. Oops, sorry. I didn't want her calling it out. Um, because I thought I was still hiding it. Even though weight was going on, I began the isolation again. Um, and I'm grateful I finally hit an emotional bottom. 
the food, yeah, I was eating. And my weight, I put on a lot of weight. Um, but what got me back was the emotional hell, the emotional bottom I had finally hit. I, I, I couldn't take it anymore, and so I went back into program. And I also left my sponsor at that time because I was blaming some of it on her. And so I took on another great sponsor who helped walk me through more steps. Um, and then there came a time where I ended up going back to my original sponsor. It's who I needed um, at that time. Um, and so this last phase of abstinence, which is five years, which I'm very grateful for, I have seen um, that stuff come back. I have gone through um, quite a bit these last five years. and. Maybe specifically after maybe the last two and a half years, I for a while didn't have a job or a place to live. <laughs> but through program and being open with program people, God provided for me. I call my higher power God. My sponsor often uses the phrase, God didn't bring you this far to drop you on your ass. <laughs> Let me tell you, my place, my stuff was in storage, I had clothes in my car. And things showed up. People needed house sitting. Program people needed dog sitting, so I'd go there. Program people went to other states to live for a while, so I would live there twice a week. Like, things just opened up for me. Um, that really became hard for me, and I needed a place. I was desperate to have a place to live. Well, I was encouraged to start saying it, putting that out loud. Um, and so I started that, and by the grace of God, my sponsor was was doing an activity, overheard something, overheard, and now I have this place that was just a God thing. And the landlord said to me, I hadn't even met her, and she's describing the place, and she works for the same district I do, and it's 10 minutes from my work, and she just said, I think this is a God thing. I said, I'll take it. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't met her. And she said, I'll give the tenant his notice tomorrow if you really want it. I want it. Um, I moved in before meeting my landlord. It, it was just this complete trust thing that happened. And I'm very grateful for that. And that's because of getting back to abstinence and being willing to work the program. Um, recently, I'm going through probably one of the hardest pains that I've gone through um, because my family is is not healthy for me to be around I've chosen to break contact with them and the thing is is I still have my people I have my family that's sitting here that I can um, allow to wrap around me if I let them um, and so I just have gained regained you know joys in my life I'll wrap up here. I went back to college. I am in my field that I love, and I haven't shared this with my sponsor yet. I figured it out last night. I finished my hours. So I, um, I can now test for licensure, and so um, that's a huge thing. And so the last thing I'll leave, I just wanted to end with because when I saw in the paper it said the long road, the first thing that I thought of was um, 
that trudge the road of happy destiny. And so from page 164, if I choose to live my life like this, um, the promises will keep coming true. And it says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. So we're going to ask you to actually sit up here. I'm sorry, Michelle, <laughs> for the ask it basket questions. Now, we only have a half hour, and there's 15 questions in here, and I do want to get to all of them. So hopefully we can. You guys want to come up? Thank you. So the first question is for Mary or anyone else on the panel who has, who is an incest uh, survivor. As someone with a severe trauma history, I have had sponsors tell me that I have to be honest in working the steps, but then when I'm honest about how terrified I am about losing weight, I have been told I'll never recover. I can work on the sexual abuse stuff outside of program, but I feel I need to be honest with my sponsor about the absolute terror that losing weight is laden with. Do you have any suggestions on working an honest program when I am so terrified of losing weight and terrified of sharing this information in program when it has been used against me in the past? Hi, my experience is that um, your higher power, if you really, really, really put your faith and trust in your higher power, is going to protect you. I had the same thing. That's why I held on to the weight for so long, um, totally. The other fear was I would be really conceited if I lost the weight. And um, neither are true or... Um, so I'm saying also, if your sponsor can't hear it, and some people can't, because sometimes it's pretty tragic. You can seek outside help. That's okay. You know, um, it's okay to seek that help because I needed to for a long time. Um, so, but your higher power, if you really, really put your faith, will protect you. Okay, Michael. Why do you say... G-O-D versus God. Just curious. Um, when I first came into the program, the word, it just, it sets like chills up my back. I just was like, oh my God, I don't even know if I can even say the word. And my first sponsor was like, oh Michael, G-O-D are just three letters that we're going to use to mean this thing. We could have called it anything. D-O-G, G-O-D, backwards and forwards, it's man's best friend. So I was like, oh, okay, 
So G-O-D. Great. And I happened to come up with a little, like, what the G and the O and the D stands for. So I guess even 30 years later, I mean, when I pray and and I when I meditate, I don't say G-O-D probably. But even today, I guess sometimes I still say that. Um, and so um, it's helped me uh, uh, be able to uh, not get all caught up. It's also helped me when I'm in the literature and there's a capital H or a capital R. It's just, oh, that's just, that's just the typewriter. It's just the phraseology that they're using uh, that, uh, that means this thing. We could have called it anything. I hope that answers the question. Describe the moment you realized that the steps were actually going to change your life, and that's to anybody. Can you see that again, please? Describe when I thought the steps would change my life. Well, when they did start changing my life is when I realized that they would, when the promises started coming true, when um, when I was able to talk to people. And the only thing that was I was doing different was doing the steps, and I was in OA. I wasn't doing anything else different. Um, when I was able to look at my sponsor, maybe just her face, not her eyes yet, but when those things started happening... Um, and when the weight did start coming off and didn't go back on and didn't go off and on, I knew the steps were, um, were going to change my life because they had started changing my life. Okay. At what point were you able to let go of a fat body image? Is that still a challenge? And that's to anybody. Um, I don't know if this will address the situation exactly or the question, but again, I've had such success with physical with 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 analogies and and actually physicalizations, and for me. There is a big difference between a real feeling and a true feeling. And maybe it's a matter of semantics for everybody else. Any feeling I have is real. I feel fat. It's a real feeling. But I have to ask, is that God's will for me? Is it true? Or am I being dishonest with myself? So I know it sounds silly, but something that's helped me a lot is if I feel that i am got a big body image, it's not true. It's just not true. It's an old idea that I'm trying to hold on to. Actually, this morning, I looked at my body naked, and I was like, is this what people do when they say they look at their bodies and want to love their bodies? You know, you need to look at the mirror and love your body. And I was like, well, I think after 30 years, I have finally gotten there. It's taken me 30 years. And I looked at it and said... Oh, there's stretch marks, which you know stretch marks are the medals that you are rewarded for surviving the battle of the bulge. That's what stretch marks are. And I looked at my body and said, 
this is the outward manifestation of who I am inside. And um, I am not 300 pounds. I'm not. And if I feel that way, it's a real feeling. But I have to ask God to say, Michael, it's just not true. It's not God's will for you. So get rid of that old idea because it's not the David that I had uh, envisioned for you. It's something you need to chip away at still. Um, I wanted to answer that one too because um, when I look at all my stretch marks, I know that I've had a stretch, <laughs> fat body, and I have lots of stretch marks. So, um, lots. Um, so I was thinking, I'm going to have surgery done because I really hate them. I would look really neat if I didn't have all the stretch marks. I can't wear a sleeveless. So I was talking to somebody, and I said, what am I going to do about all these stretch marks on my arm? And she said, cut them off. And then I'm like, oh. but you know what? It woke me up. I have arms. I have arms. And if you guys have ever seen that video with the guy with no legs, no arms, he moves, he motivates, he inspires. It's like, what am I complaining about? You put it in perspective and short. Thanks. Okay, so Michael. I am an OA member, and recently I had bypass surgery. How can I be gentle to myself? I'm hiding this aspect to the general public. I guess I'm in fear. Thanks. Well, thanks for, for exposing yourself and asking the question. And um, I don't have any experience with having bypass surgery, so I certainly can't give an, a, an opinion because my opinion means diddly. I can only share my experience. But I can absolutely tell you that my experience, though it seems so strange, is the more that I shared who I really was in Overeaters Anonymous meetings, to other people, to my sponsor, the more acceptance I had from them and from myself. It didn't make any sense because I was so afraid that if you found out who I really was, you wouldn't want to be around me. I thought I was rotten. And what do you do with rotten meat? You throw it out. It's worthless. And yet, a strange paradox that the more, the more like opening up a, 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 a dark closet and exposing it to the light, um, those, the, the, that dissipates. So I would encourage you to continue to share whatever your dark secrets are. Um, admit them to God, to yourself, and to another human being. And even if that's at the group level, so be it. You've earned your seat in Overeaters Anonymous. Okay, after losing 100 pounds, do you still struggle with body image and think you're fat even though you're at a healthy body weight? panel kind of already discussed that, so we're going to go on to the next question. How do you deal with the feelings that come up as you release weight? 
Hmm. Lots of feelings come up as I release weight. Um, a lot of fear comes up as I release weight because then people might notice and people might look at me and people might come up to me and talk to me, which is still... So I have to pray. I have to ask God to give me the courage and the strength. And um, my weight is also an armor. And so I, as I lose my armor, I have to ask God to um, remind me that I'll be okay. That this arm, I don't need this armor anymore. That I have my higher power as my armor. And I have you guys also. And so um, I have to remind myself of that often. Or I have people that help remind me of that. Um, so that's kind of what I do as the weight comes off. that are different than, yeah. Some of the same questions over and over. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay. So what is the most effective tool to stay out of denial and maintain your 100-pound-plus weight loss? What is the most effective tool to stay out of denial and maintain? For me, the tool would be writing. Because, um, uh, yeah, and the scale. I get on, that's really, yeah. To stay out of denial is getting on the scale. I only get once a month on the scale, and I call in into my sponsor, and that's a real reality. For example, last month, um, yeah, I got a good reality change. Instead of going up, I mean down, I went up and called in my sponsor so we had to look at stuff. And then writing. Um, the journal, the tool of writing keeps me here. And what I do is really, because I can lie to myself. I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I can lie to myself really well. But when I write to God and ask God, what is the real scoop? God will answer, like, come on, Mary. The cream with the decaf, you've been looking forward to that every night. And you have two cups, not one cup. And you really hit it like it's something so sweet, which it is. But um, So I had to give that up. So writing and uh, weighing yourself is good. Not being crazy about it, being realistic. Uh, two things come to my mind. Uh, uh, if they mean literally what tool or just what tool in general. It reminds me there's a great uh, page in one of the pieces of literature that says, the step that keeps us growing. And I'm like, oh, well, the step that keeps us growing is step 10, of course. You know, step 10. And it goes on to go, no, the step that keeps us growing, Michael, is step 11. Because as I get 30, 30 years abstinent and 100-pound weight loss, it's easy for me to go, well, what else is there to do? So step 11 is the step that keeps me growing. So the tool that I think, it's not really a tool, but it's the tool of honesty. And I don't mean honesty with somebody else. 
I mean honesty with myself. For example, we were reading at our step meeting last week, if we are going to have freedom from compulsive overeating, we must abstain from all foods and all eating behaviors which are causing us problems. So when people say, well, what's your plan of eating? You don't need to know my plan of eating, honey. The literature says it's very clear. You must abstain, Michael, from all foods and all eating behaviors which are causing you problems. So figure out what those are, and then you've got your plan of eating. But that's not easy, but it's clear. So if I know honestly that a certain food is a food that is causing me a problem, that's where the real work begins. Otherwise, I am in denial. Can you talk about how losing weight affected your sexuality? I'll go. <laughs> okay, that's an honest question. It scares the bejesus out of me. Yep, I'm an incest survivor. So intimacy into me, you see, especially during lovemaking or sex. That's an adult topic. I never feel like an adult. So um, <laughs> it's a tough one for me, I'll be honest. I, it's, it, it, because of my past, that's where I got... That's a really deep question. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm praying to God right now. I'm going to answer honestly. I have lots of problems with it. And I'm praying for God because I feel like I'm shortchanging my partner because of it. Because it's an issue for me. She gets ripped off. And it's not fair. La -da -da -la -da. But you know what? I'm asking God to please, please, please help me with that. So, again, working the steps. Like, looking at it. Working the steps. And just praying. It's a really, really scary topic. And um, I don't want to enter it before I'm ready, so I'm asking my higher power to help me with that. And that's the honest truth. And I'm kind of doing a fifth step, sharing that with a whole room full of strangers. So um, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, I'd like to share two quick things on it, uh, if it might be helpful. One I've already spoken of. I've actually shared with my partners exactly where I come from. I've exposed myself to them and said, I used to weigh almost 300 pounds. You did, Michael? Wow, you look really great. And then the second thing is to be able to take in when they actually say that. Well, Michael, you look great. Or, Michael, wow, I really think your hairy chest is very sexy. Thanks. To really look at my physical assets and go and take it in and really put it on my list. I have nice hands. I have uh, nice eyes. I have a nice hairy chest, you know, <laughs> to really take those sort of things rather than, oh, no, 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 to really take those things in because I think that's God's will for me. Uh, but again, exposing myself my, to people and saying where I was from has helped me a lot, kind of like as a little safety net, you know, and um, people have been, they admire it and they find you more attractive because of it.
it. Last three. It says I'm 50 pounds into my journey and it's starting to get scary. How do you deal with the fears that come up with body changes? How do you deal with the, the feelings that come up, the fears that fear. come up? Fear. The fear? Okay. Uh, how do you pick yourself up after relapse before gaining that 100 pounds back again? How do I, I've, I've lost, first time I lost 80 pounds, um, as I started it and then went out because you guys didn't understand and then I came back and um, what helped me is trying to save someone else my little nephew came into my life he ran away and I said if I'm going to help this little boy I got to help me I got to put that uh, airplane mask over me before I can help him that's what brought me back into the in other words codependency codependency helped me there <laughs> But what I have experienced in the rooms and with uh, the person that I love is keep coming back, keep coming back. I've seen the people who come back even despite the weight gain, and they stay in the rooms. They get it again. They get it, and that's what happened to me. I came back, and I got it again. So keep coming back. Even if you're racked with shame, even if you say it's never going to work for me, keep coming back. It will. It will. So I, um, before gaining that 100 pounds back, I gained that back. So everything that I said, I would do the opposite. I don't suggest that you rest on your laurels or let go of your spiritual act program of action to keep doing those things because your relapse doesn't have to continue. It can stop where it is right now to get back into the spiritual action. Okay, thank you to our speakers one more time and for answering the questions. And thank you everybody who asked a question. It is brave to get those things out there. And so now we're going to go ahead and close. It's time to end the session. Please stand and join it. Join hands as we close with, I put my hand in yours.